All right, gang, welcome to the best Tuesday you've had all week. We're stoked to have you here at the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn. Joining me in studio this week, Matt Dixon. Matt? Yes. How's the sleep schedule? It's doing all right. Okay, well, yeah. let's take it. Yeah. Right? Remember, are we four weeks in now yet? Three weeks? I can't even, yeah. I've lost track. Four weeks. The baby is a month old now. A it month goes by old. really quick. Right? Everybody warns you about this, too. Like, it's oh, true. it'll be done before you know it. So It's a weird vortex of time where every single day feels like the longest day of your life. Yet, <laughs> when you look at the, the days totaled up, you're like, that could not have been a month. That feels like a week. Right. So, so pretty wild stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, here's the here's the good news. It won't slow down. Hmm. Right. You'll, you'll remember this one day and be like, oh, my gosh, they're graduating. Yeah, I bet it goes pretty quick. <laughs> it goes pretty quick. So anyway, well, look, uh, this is we're we're doing something new. We're recording the show today. So yeah. and the cameras. Right. And the cameras are upgraded. They are. There's real cameras, but they're not. We're not live streaming yet, so we'll let you know on this one. But if you want to catch the show, we've said many times there's a podcast, but now there's also going to be video cast. So nice. we'll see how that all works out. Meanwhile, uh, we got to figure out what's important to talk about today, and there is something that's been on my mind that we really haven't covered in. Uh, Quite a while. It's been a few months, a few years. How it, long it are we has? And it's kind of an interesting after the fact moment. You know, we we got taxes in the rearview mirror a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, and the dust is settling. And hey, the well, the weather's getting nice and whatever. So here's a funny thing. After everybody's finished with their taxes, I, I had a thought. Like, what's one of the large differences? Frequently, not exclusively, but often between working with a financial planner versus working with an accountant and that accountant can be you know bookkeeping could mean cpa could mean a lot of things just like a planner could mean you know your registered representative uh who is doing some planning with you Mm -hmm. all the way up to like a cfp or something like that i think the financial advisor is looking at more maybe possible creative ways to invest the money after you know we figured out how the government needs to be paid right i and i'm going to even add more to that so in my mind, what I was thinking about, and, and this just comes down to it, it's not, like I said, it's not exclusive because there are some accountants that will do this, but proactive versus reactive. That's true too. Looking ahead at the future and saying, how can we set things up now to where when it is time to finalize the numbers with the CPA, things look better than they did had you waited to the last second right. to submit. Yeah. Right. And so uh, as an example, I plan personally on a multiple year schedule, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not just a, great, it's time to do the taxes. Let's figure out how much we can save right now. It is a- How uh, much do I need to save now so that in 30 years, I'm living the lifestyle that I want to live? There's that. In our case too, we own some real estate. There's depreciation schedules. Some of it's accelerated, some of it is not. So we are looking at what is the anticipated future cash flows mm-hmm. versus anticipated future depreciation schedule? And we're sort of managing that against our debt load, as an example. So I'm mm-hmm. looking at sort of an aggregate amount of overall tax that's being paid over time. Uh, and, and we do this when we when it comes to estate planning, mm-hmm. right? I had some conversations recently in the office that included, hey, it, it figure out what is your estate strategy because 
beyond a certain threshold, the government wants a piece of the action. Okay, well, if you can get it out of your state, is it better or worse for the heirs to receive gifts versus mm. an inheritance? Right. And there were tax ramifications to consider, right? Those are future tax concerns that you can plan for in advance. Right. And if you do it the right way, the CPA will even say, hey, you know, pat on the back. Good job. You did it right. Right. And it's here's the the real trick is it's not that the CPA couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. That's not really the issue. The issue is typically that the CPA, because there's just not enough of them in the profession as it is, right. they don't have the time to do that. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being, well, we just put out the fires as we get them. Mm-hmm. Okay, But that's not necessarily a good long-term strategy. And again, this is not to discount. I, I mean, I, I have... Uh, a thousand percent respect for uh, you know our, our CPAs and accountants out there and the bookkeepers and everybody's doing something valuable, and some of them do offer more proactive planning. Okay, but oftentimes weighing the considerations of well, how much now? Like, should I maximize my tax savings today, or should I look at what my tax savings over a rolling three-year period might look like? Mm-hmm. Okay. They are different. This can come into play, for example, if you're thinking about converting Roth IRA or converting a traditional IRA to Roth. Okay. Well, what would be the purpose? It may not be the most tax advantageous immediately, but there could be advantages down the road. So I I think that that's a really interesting thing to consider. And I, I thought for all of our listeners, there are a few things that maybe you should think about that can really impact how you think about making distributions uh, or how you think about planning. And a lot of it is distribution planning. So for a minute, I want to talk to you if you are reaching retirement. If you're not in retirement, this is still relevant. In fact, you may want to kind of make a mental note. You can grab the podcast and share it if you've got friends or family that are approaching this. But Matt, what are some of the things that we think about as somebody is, say, approaching retirement and trying to decide where to save and where to how they're going to fund a retirement. And I'll define retirement in this case as exiting the workforce and no longer receiving mm-hmm. employment income. So I mean, what are some of the things oh that we man, think there's about? There's so many things. One of the things I would look at is taking a look at my social security statement and saying, um, you know, how much social security might I get at age 67 versus age 70? Because those numbers will differ. Um, so I might be looking at social security statements and if I'm investing, uh, I would be looking at, you know, different investment vehicles. You know, am I investing in my works 401k or am I investing in a Roth? Am I investing enough? So I would be looking at, you know, some projections as well saying, how much do I expect to spend in retirement? Aha. And is what I'm doing right now in this moment going to get me there, right? So say I'm five years out. Should I be putting away more money or is what I'm doing right now okay? Mm-hmm. I th- and I would say the planning starts earlier in terms of understanding how much money you spend, mm-hmm. right? So much around planning. I, it, it's, it's interesting to me. And, and if, this is, if this feels like you're getting singled out when I say this, I'm okay with that. Right, I'm okay with you getting just a little. David, I feel like you're trying to light a fire underneath this person that's about to feel uncomfortable because they need it. Well, the thing is, if 
you simply spend the amount of money that finds its way into your checking account mm -hmm. from your job. And then when you're out of money, you stop spending. If that's your philosophy for saving, well, first I'd say there's no philosophy for saving at all, right? If that's yeah, your that's money not management saving. philosophy, yeah. okay? That's spending. I'm going to tell you that that's not a good recipe for financial stability, mm -hmm. okay? It's a really polite way of saying you're one accident away from a catastrophe. Yeah. Okay? I just spend as much as I make. Now, if you find yourself saying, well, I just don't make enough, and so I have a problem. That's really a different conversation. Right? Yeah, then a lot it might be that, time to go find a job where you're making more money. Right. And so there's this pre-conversation that we have to have. And I think financial advisors dismiss this a lot. And I want to dismiss this. Right? Let's just say for a minute, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, and it's because life is just so expensive that there's no savings to be found. Mm -hmm. The first question I'm going to ask is, is that true? Right. Mm -hmm. It It may be. Right. It's possible that that really is true. Yeah. But and then I bet I know your next angle here. How much of your spending is discretionary versus your actual needs? Yeah. yeah. The wants versus needs is a real conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's that's part of it. And and then the other issue is why are you in a situation where what you are being paid is barely enough to survive? Right. Okay. So let's assume for a minute that it really is just a life support income. And that's out there. I mean, like you're close to the poverty level. And these days, I would say, look, if you're making $30,000 a year, like that's not much money, right? Mm -hmm. It's really not. It just doesn't go very far. And even though there's supplements for health insurance and you'll be in a negligible, almost zero federal tax bracket and so forth, it's just not a lot of a discretionary income when you consider how much everything costs, you know, vehicles, fuel, food, all those things to live, uh, where you stay, right? It's just not much money. So I get it. So the precursor to this whole conversation is if you're going to work for somebody else, how do you increase your value as an employee? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because that's the conversation to have with yourself is, am I, because this, people just get this wrong. Right? I'll just say it again. I don't care what your politics are. Some of you are just wrong about this. Okay. If you think the solution is just raise minimum wage so that more people can afford to live, then I'm going to say it's a Pollyanna approach to solving this problem. It's not grounded in economic reality. Yeah. I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing the, oh, well, corporations need to pay their fair share and yeah, I need to be compensated for my... Yeah. yeah. I, I will tell you that that's the equivalent of saying, like, let's say that you have to hire your neighbor to come mow your yard mm -hmm. and they do a crap job and <laughs> there's all kinds of areas that they miss and then they leave a mess behind that's worse than it started. And then they say, and you need to pay me a whole bunch of money for it. And what you're going is to say is... You did a terrible job. It wasn't worth it. I could get somebody else for the With same more price skill. who will do yeah. a lot better job. And what you're what you're insisting is, well, they showed up and fogged a mirror and half you know halfway did the job. I mm -hmm. wanted to save more graphic stuff on there, but they did a really terrible job. And you're trying to say you need to pay them a living wage, and I will say no, no. It the it's not the because you're what what I think the flaw is is people saying. Well, that person deserves to have a living wage because oh, they yeah. need to live. And that's, I'm like, that's that the right person, mm -hmm. not the job they did. Right? Exactly. The skill set matters, and, and I'll, I'll prove it to you. Mm -hmm. If I can train a monkey to do it instead, 
assuming we have no weird animal rights activists out there, then I should do that, right? Because I could feed yeah. the monkey bananas mm -hmm. or whatever you know is that monkey wants to eat, right? But and that would be cheaper than the labor laws associated with hiring a person. If I can get a robot to do it, that's a better way to look at it. Let's not play the monkey game because that somebody's going to accuse me of. If a robot can replace what you're doing, why should I hire you? So kind of the, the argument robot? of like the person checking out your groceries versus the machine where you scan it yourself. Well, the, the machine's that, doing it. It's, it can do it. The difference being that now you've gone from somebody else doing the thing for you and getting paid something for doing it to you're doing the thing. That's true. Okay. But talking about a lawn, right? If I could get a robot to do as good a job as the teenage person that we're talking about, the fictional person that did a terrible right. job, I can get the equivalent of like, you know, the, the, the robot vacuum. I got the robot lawn They make mower. one of those now. I know. Yeah. I know. This is a real thing, right? If that robot can mow the lawn and I can buy it, for cheaper than I can hire the person mm -hmm. and it does a better job, you're out of a job. Yep. That does not mean that everybody gets paid more now. It means that that job is replaceable and your skill set's not adequate. You need to enhance your skill set so that it becomes more valuable. And the, the mowing the lawn job is a stepping stone to developing credibility and getting a starter point, right? It's, it was never intended to be a living wage job. Like flipping a hamburger, we said that for years, never intended to be a living wage. It's a part-time, get-started kind of a gig. And you again, if you think otherwise, I, one, I'd invite you to call the program and tell, you know, tell me why I'm wrong <laughs> without... without then giving a feedback loop that leads to inflation, right? Yeah, that's If the you want to come in and say, no, you can do this, and everybody ends up with more, and here's the studies for this, that, and the other, and I'll say, okay, which of those studies didn't result in inflation? Mm-hmm. Okay? And I'll wait. Okay? I believe the number here is six seven, what, six seven three four four six four. I believe, if you want to call into the program and you want to debate me on that, I'm ready. Okay? For the rest of you, while you're gearing up your arguments, we can, we'll do this. We, since we, we, we've established first, your skill set become more valuable. But we gotta talk about, once we've done that, how do you start this planning process? How can you become proactive with your money instead of reactive or just whatever's left in the kitty at the end? That and more, but we're way long on the first segment. So stick around, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, We'll be covering this and more. So this is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. You're listening to True Wealth. All right, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where I need to turn up my headphones, apparently, because I missed the cue music. So sorry about that to our uh, quality engineer, Dale, there. Appreciate your help. Uh, so we are talking today about the concept of being more proactive in planning. Grab mm -hmm. the podcast if you want to get caught up. Hopefully this video recording is working as well. We'll have that on yeah, YouTube pretty that'd soon. that'd be nice. Um, podcast at littlejohnfs.com, and you can uh, also listen to past shows on this one. But you get caught up because the idea of being proactive here is that um, well, we, a lot we, of, I was I was going to say we left off talking about you know, skilled workers. If you don't have a skill set, you shouldn't expect to make a wage that's, you know, above maybe the average, right? 
And that's kind of where we left our listeners off is talking about, you know, you, you're compensated for your skill sets in a lot of regard. Well, all of that's this connection, right? So mm -hmm. the, because the first premise people make is, hey, uh, I don't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And I always challenge folks to go, well, first of all, is it because you're, you're outspending your capacity? And is, are you spending on wants or needs? Right. Okay? And then some people are, well, I just want it, so I'm okay doing that. So, all right, but if you spend it all and you have no savings, then what that means is you're really fragile. Okay. And if we're talking about proactive planning here, and the idea is I'd like to create a scenario where I'm not so financially fragile, mm -hmm. then one of the things you need to know is what does my lifestyle cost? Right. And the answer isn't more. Right. If the answer is more, then planning is fruitless. And so, yes, go figure out, go watch your YouTube somewhere where somebody tells you how to become a billionaire. OK. And you know, all you have to do is have lightning strike seven times in a row, standing on your head just the right way. And you, too, can be a billionaire. Right. It's statistically way, way harder than people say it is. Because okay? keep in mind that the people that made it through the pathway they're claiming... They're probably not selling you advice because well, that's no, a once, lot of work. Once somebody makes it, especially when they're using somebody else's platform to do it, mm -hmm. the platform takes note of it and then makes sure that the platform doesn't allow somebody else to do that typically because the platform wants the money. Mm -hmm. right? Like if you figure out how to hack Facebook's algorithms to, to make the money without paying them for advertising, they're going to change the algorithm so it doesn't work anymore. Because they're trying to make the money. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now they're okay letting you make some of the money because they need people to be on the platform. So it's like, guess what? Some people win at the casino. Yeah, right? they some have people. You, you got to see the winners, or you're not going to be yeah, rolling the dice. If nobody ever won, they'd wise up and be like, "Well, forget it." But there's just enough to tempt you, right? Mm -hmm. So I, that's kind of the issue here, and. I'm, that's not to suggest that there aren't ways to do it. I'm not saying that. Some people do. But look at the statistics, right? We can't all be billionaires. And if we all were billionaires, then billionaire doesn't mean anything, right? Because that means inflation is to the point where, guess what? You got a billion dollars, but you're going to go to Taco Bell, and your taco is going to cost you $40 million. Like, oh, okay, well, a $40 million taco. We're all billionaires. Congratulations. Right? It's stupid. That's what it comes down to. But Knowing your cost of living isn't stupid because if you want to plan, you need to know how much you are trying to replace. Yeah. Okay. All of this to come back to remember the original premise was this idea of distribution planning for our folks that are nearing retirement. Yeah. Right? That is a very long path to get here. So sorry. Now we're back to home base. Right. If you're watching it, we could go in the, in the video and say like, Oh, just skip the next four minutes. Right. But, the home base is know what you need to spend and then you can know what you need to replace. And then you can look at your your sources of income to replace it. Where do these things come from? It can come from a lot of different places. Obviously, your investments in, you know, equity, sure. But uh, real estate, right? You might have a rental um, income. That's one option. Sure. Um, you might have a pension. Uh, yes. There's so many different avenues where uh, you could continue working, right? Mm -hmm. And have a little side job that provides you some income. There's a lot of different ways to have an income stream to help float that boat. Right. And so the, the thought process here is you need to take an inventory. Mm -hmm. And here's, here's kind of the, the rundown of how we would do 
distribution planning. I'm going to actually walk you through this. I'm not holding anything sneaky back here like there's a magic formula. It works like this, okay? First, you want to know what kind of guaranteed income streams might you have. And guaranteed, remember, is only as air good quotes. as the guarantor, right? So yeah. yes, there's air quotes in studio on guarantee. But like Social Security, is it guaranteed? I guess not, but it's pretty darn secure in that the government with the printing press has it. Are we, and now we're in the middle of, well, what about the debt ceiling? Are they set together? Yeah. I mean, like, that's why nothing's perfect, perfect. But the probability are as good as anything. The reality is the government has the printing press. If they take away your Social Security, a lot of people are going right. to be... And if they take away your Social Security... Oh, we've got bigger problems. Uh, uh, let me tell you what. We're going to rock the vote. Just mm -hmm. telling you. So I don't think that's the way this goes down. So you can consider Social Security mm -hmm. uh, as a type of pension. You may have an, a pension through your employment. Right. Okay? You may have rental income, as you discussed. You may own other businesses that generate income. So these are all different forms of sim passive or semi-passive income. Mm -hmm. There could okay. be an inheritance coming. That that could be part. Well, and, and where that falls into is that's the bucket of asset, assets, right? Mm -hmm. Think about a nest egg, right? The whole purpose of retirement plans, nest egg. You're going to build up this nest egg. And nest egg allows you to do what? You can either harvest like you can you take part income, of it yeah you can reinvest reinvest you, well there's 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 gains and then there's income mm -hmm. and both of those are sort of within the purview of eligibility to fund your lifestyle but you do have to pay attention and and here's the thing the difference between gains and income or uh, you know dividends and so forth there'll be different tax rates sure and so when we get into the distribution planning, what we look at is, okay, well, where are your income sources? The money that's going to show up, is that taxable or not? And where? Mm -hmm. So is it federally taxable? Is it state taxable? Is it locally taxed? Right. And there some vehicles operate very differently than others. Right. And so first you're looking at it saying, well, how much money do I have that's going to show up at my doorstep with, with or without my permission? Mm -hmm. okay. and, and, and in the back of this, you can also think about, which of these sources are sources that I'm responsible for carrying the risk versus somebody else? Okay, mm -hmm. like a pension, somebody else is owning the risk of maintaining payments to you. Right. Okay. When you have a nest egg, you are responsible for controlling how fast you take the money out to make sure it lasts. Right. So that's the difference. There is who's the one bearing the risk of longevity, if you will, or the distribution risk. Because guess what? You could take a you know, big retirement plan and you can spend it all in one year and it's gone. Now that nest egg means very little. It's not going to carry you for a lifetime because you had an extravagant year, spent everything and you're broke. Okay. Pensions, the the benefit is it's hard to do that because they trickle it's the so, money to you. Yeah, it's fixed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like you can't take your whole social security check and blow it all at once. You have to wait until you get it. Yeah. Okay. So consider we look at the different sources of income you have, what tax treatment they will receive. And that's one of the reasons I think, you know, it's smart to sometimes get the opinion from an advisor because maybe it's in your best interest to put this investment inside of this type of account, whereas another type of investment would be better in a different type of account for tax reasons like you were talking about. Right. Um, you could save yourself in taxes if it's done properly. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And so, again, we consider not only – I mean, that's the placement concept. Like, hey, right. let's yeah. design Placement's this. a big piece. Well, it's a real – like, here's here's something that most people don't even think about. From, from a proactive planning perspective, there can come a time in your life when it doesn't really make sense to put more money into retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's weird, but here's here's a real life scenario. I've put so much money into a retirement plan, and it's grown so much in value that I've deferred all these taxes. Mm-hmm. And at the age of seventy three, I will have required distributions, and it will make my income higher than it is today. And I will be in a higher future tax bracket than I am today. So why am I deferring taxes out of the lower tax bracket today into a higher future tax bracket? Mm-hmm. Right. It actually doesn't make financial sense to do that. Right. And we've seen people that believe that, like, hey, I just got to put it all into this retirement account. It's like, well, maybe you should just put it in an individual account and save it for yourself. Well, or yeah, yeah maybe you should put it in a different tax basket. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's to me what a retirement plan really is. It's, it's a tax basket. It's a tight. It's the way that the government's going to treat that asset for tax purposes. Because remember that it's once the money goes into a retirement plan, when it comes back out, assuming that you're at legal, you're legally withdrawing it without a penalty, mm-hmm. right? Which is based on age or other circumstance. That at that point, the money comes back out, it will be as income, right? Once yep. it goes into a tax deferred vehicle, the money that comes out is considered ordinary and income. Would you rather be taxed at the highest income bracket or at long-term capital gains rates? Right. And yeah. typically speaking, long-term capital gains. Yeah. But even that has a funky caveat to it, right? Right. You want to know what it is? I do. Good. I'll tell you after we take the next obscene oh, profit break. All right. All right. There's the music. So stick around. And when we come back, I want to share with you when my capital gains taxes be more expensive than income taxes. That and more when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with... Matt Dixon. Matt, we had this trick question that we left our listeners with. Uh, it's kind of a weird one, and I'm I'm just going to fess up. It is kind of a trick question, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a scenario question of is there a point at which capital gains, long-term capital gains tax would be higher than an income tax? If the capital gain was on a large enough amount of money where it supersedes the amount that you're earning from, you know, whatever vehicle it is that you're having to pay income taxes on. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's it. So, and what Matt's doing? See, I, I gave him the answer. Yeah, over the and break. So I'm he's trying like, to Wait bring a that back. Here, yeah. right? uh, it, there, here's the reason it's a trick question. Just so everybody's aware, right? And, and first of all, let me also just disclaim this on air real quick. Uh, we can't give tax advice on the air. We're right? not. That's CPAs. not. We're not tax yeah. advisors. We're not CPAs. That's not it. But look, I can read you the bo- like the ingredients on the box, right? I could tell you what the tax code says, and you can figure this thing out. So I'm not giving you advice. I'm just explaining a few things. I'm going to tell you if you really get into the weeds. Um, one, see me after class five four one three seven five zero eight nine eight. Okay, or go to your tax professional and speak to them about this stuff if you don't understand it. Now let's get into the question. The question was: Could capital gains ever be higher? So long-term capital gains specifically, would they ever be higher than income tax? And the short answer is. No, it really shouldn't happen that way. 
But let me give you a weird circumstance. Let's say that you earn very low income, but you happen to have something that's really highly appreciated in value. You have a million dollars worth of Apple stock. So let's <laughs> use like Jeff Bezos as an example. Oh man, we're really going for you know, it. Oh, CEO compensation. I pay myself $50,000 a year as the CEO of Amazon. Now that probably wouldn't fly with the IRS, but let's pretend it does, okay? But I bought my, I got Amazon stock 20 years ago at 0 0.001 cents per share, <laughs> and today it's $100 a share. So I have a capital gain, and let's pretend that we live in Oregon too, because that's where the show is being broadcast from. And I have a capital gain of $100 billion. Wow, that's a lot of money. Okay. First of all, I'm probably not going to sell all of my Amazon stock at once because I will destroy the market. Okay? <laughs> this, incidentally, is the same reason that a wealth tax is a bad idea. Because you would force right? these you'd billionaires, force liquidate to, sell billionaires their... <laughs> to sell their their privately held assets to try to tax them. And guess or... what happens if all those shares are sold? Yeah. Now they're worth less, and now you have less right. money in your retirement account. Yeah, so so that could blow up pensions and destabilize the markets for one. And then the other, of course, is if they haven't realized the gain and you're saying to tax it, what happens if something happens to Amazon and it disappears? Do you pay them back? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, we taxed you on gains you hadn't had, and then they disappeared. Now what? Right? It's ripe for gaming and corruption. It's a terrible idea. Okay? And, and I will, again, I'll challenge anybody listening that if you think a wealth tax is a good idea, convince me that that is not you just being angry at people with big wealth. Mm -hmm. Right? I need to be convinced that this is not simply when you say, oh, it's a fair share. Nobody should have that much. I go, well, first of all, how much is enough and what's fair? Right? Do not come at me with subjective terms to try to defend your argument. I need a logic-bound term with specific numbers to then define what is the fair number that somebody should be allowed to have, right? How is that determined? And why must those people have a different set of rules than everybody else? Mm -hmm. Okay. And if your point is, well, they have a different set of rules for criminal conduct or whatnot, I'm not even going to disagree with you on that. I think they should be held to the same rules as everybody else. And then we can ask the question, why aren't they? Okay. But I don't know why there's a special tax code for rich people to try to sting them if they follow the rules. If we don't like the rules, change them. Mm -hmm. There, diatribe over. Back to our original question. If you had very low income, so in this case, the Jeff Bezos example, living here in like Oregon. 50000 right? Yeah, low income, and you had your standard deduction at the federal level, which is somewhere close to $12,500. Mm -hmm. And let's say you're married, right? So you got uh, double that, so $25,000. And your $50,000 of income gets to be reduced in value by $25,000. So you show $25,000 of income. Your effective tax rate is going to be about 12% mm -hmm. for your income. Your capital gains rate would be zero, except that if you have a lot of capital gains, right, then it's added to your income and then you, they look at the aggregate amount. So there's actually a graduated scale for capital gains, and it goes 10%, 15%, 20% at the federal level. So you could find yourself taking a million-dollar capital gain in your stock and paying tax on that, and you'd pay taxes at 20% on that million-dollar capital gain, which would have been higher than your income tax liability. Mm -hmm. 
So kind of wild in that scenario. But that's when it works is you have very low income and very high capital gain. Uh, if it's a sh- what, so here's the other part of it, Matt. What if it was a short-term capital gain? Then what happens? Then it's your income level or your income yeah, it's, tax it's level. It's treated as, yeah. it, as an income tax. So yeah. Short-term capital gains are typically treated as income tax. Uh, interestingly enough, in the state of Oregon, the capital gains rate in Oregon is the same as the income tax rate. So Ouch, they're, they're Oregon! Why do you got to be so expensive? And I don't think there's a difference between long and short term either. I think it's just the capital gains rate. Mm-hmm. If I'm mistaken, please you know fact check it. And again, you need to go and and depending on when you listen to this show, oh right, yeah, because it changes. The tax law could be different, so you need yeah. to verify this if you are you know, getting into the numbers. But these are examples in sort of the current scenario where took a snapshot and that could happen. So it's kind of goofy, right? But it also, again, helps explain why this proactive nature of planning matters. Because what if I was Jeff Bezos and I could choose when to take my capital gains? Let's say it's December. And maybe I choose that I know that next year my salary is going to go up to a million dollars, but this year it's not. Well, I might say, I'm in a low tax bracket this year. Why don't I, instead of taking a capital gain on the stock, why don't I take and do a distribution of $400,000 from my 401k plan and convert that to Roth in a lower tax bracket because I have a really low income tax year. And I could potentially reposition some money out of a higher tax deferred environment into a a potentially tax-free environment later. And if you all just said, like, so what? Is this a see me after class moment? It is, because this is going to be circumstantial to each person. Mm-hmm. Your tax scenario is going to be different than somebody else's. And that's the great thing. We're looking at each of you on an individual level. Right. And we're looking at when will you need income at different points. Some mm-hmm. years, if we're looking over a 10-year outlook, and let's say you're 65 and you're just going to leave the workforce and you're going to go on to Medicare and your Social Securities, you're trying to decide whether or not to wait until 67 to take it or not, and you're looking at your retirement plans and everything, and you also say, but you know what? I need to replace my vehicle in the next three or four years. And they told me that we're going to need to put a roof on the house too we could actually look at those lobes of cash that are going to be needed and design those into a strategy that is intended to lower your tax burden. Mm -hmm. And the reason that you would consider that, because again, it's how do you get the money out into the right places to afford to do that? Or here's a crazy one. What would happen if it's cheaper to borrow money than to pay taxes? Ooh, I want to dive into that a little bit deeper. So, This is a really interesting one for planning. So the scenario would be, hey, I need to put a roof on my house. Mm -hmm. It's going to cost $50,000. And I'm already making $100,000 a year. That's going to cost me, in terms of additional taxes, uh, you know, I'm going to be in the 20-plus percent federal bracket. So If you were to take the $50,000 out of a retirement account. So let's say it's going to cost me $30,000. In ta- or thirty percent in taxes, I'm going to pull fifty thousand dollars. That's going to cost me fifteen grand in taxes between federal and state here. Mm-hmm. Or I could pay five years interest free, and they'll let me finance it, and I can absorb the payment in my normal household income for five years. It would actually be materially cheaper than paying the extra taxes to pull the money out and write a check right. up front. Even if the, they were charging a low amount of interest, it would probably still be cheaper. It would probably still be cheaper because the tax rate is significantly higher than the income rate. Mm-hmm. And so imagine the scenario where you have pension income 
and you're still saving some of it. And you're thinking, I should pull money out of a retirement plan to pay for a new roof. And what I would say is, wait a second, if you have financing that's cheaper than that, why would you accelerate the money out at a higher tax cost yep. than your interest cost? Well, and then if you're also losing that investment power, right? Like if you suck the money out of the account and it can't earn any type right. so of you're interest, losing the potential you're losing on too. both ends. And that's why yeah. for the person that always says, well, I don't want to ever have any debt ever. I'm like, hey, what if you can leverage it like you just talked yeah. about? And in this case, I realized that the idea of saying I don't want any debt ever, but uh, let me let me pose one other thing that's kind of a have you thought about it this way? Okay. Okay. And what do you got for me? Well, I've got our last break. Ah, David, you can't pull I'm that. Horrible. Card. No, I can totally pull the card. We're gonna do that. All right. When we come back after the last break, just a little bit of a thought about what is debt Ooh. in this case. Okay. Stick along. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon. Yeah, true. All on News Radio ninety three nine FM and twelve forty KQEN. Okay, it sounds like the music's back, right? I think we're okay. back on, so good deal. Yeah. Um, welcome to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. If you're just getting caught up, uh, podcast this thing, or uh, hopefully we'll have it on video as well. Uh, go to littlejohnfs.com, and we'll have that up tomorrow. But uh, I had a kind of a trick question again. This is sort of the trick question program. It's built today around this idea of proactive planning and how to manage, specifically around sort of navigating taxes. And if the concept in taxes is that you want to sort of push around when you pay taxes and what type of taxes you pay to sort of lower the burden as much as you can overall over time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's a, there are a lot of strategies to do this and it involves navigating the tax code, right? Just understanding the rules of what you can and can't do. Okay. This is no different than in sports, right? You know, you can't, like in the NFL, or actually in football in general, right? Like the receiver can't leave the field and come back in and still be eligible, right? So you got to stay in the lines. That's part of the game, mm-hmm. okay? But there's a lot of things you can do in the lines to be creative to make opportunities happen. So we're we're not saying break the rules. We're saying understand them, okay? And that's how taxes work. Now, here was the trick question, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the, the the question is really around debt, and this is. It's kind of a Dave Ramsey thing. And I want to be real clear. I'm not trying to nuance this or rationalize or justify debt. But the question, let's use our roof example of you could, you can't afford to pay cash for the roof from your checking account, but mm-hmm. you have a retirement account. And let's say it's a pretty big chunk, like it's a $50,000 roof, you okay. a big place in a barn or something like that. I don't know. It's an expense though. And you finance the roof at very low interest rate, and you are capable of paying for it with pension income, and you do not have to liquidate a big chunk out of your retirement plan. Mm-hmm. Do you have debt? I mean, first, legalistically, do yeah, you have debt? on paper, you have debt. Absolutely, you do. But so let's you, not get too yeah. key with it. It is debt. Do you have bad debt? Not necessarily. It actually might be working in your favor because if you have the funds to back the debt, right? you might be better off in this instance to just use that low interest instead of depleting the resource inside of the retirement account, triggering a bunch of taxes, and then losing the ability for that amount to grow. Yes. So let's use a different example, okay? 
everybody's heard about Silicon Valley Bank recently. Yeah. Went bankrupt. Why were they bankrupt? Because they didn't have the assets, the assets to back all on, that bad debt. Yeah, on hand. So when people came looking for the money, they didn't have it to give it mm -hmm. back to them. So let's think about an insurance company now for a minute. Insurance company that has a general account and they have a life insurance obligation and somebody dies. Do they pay it out? Of course they do. The rules are different for insurance companies than they are for banks. They do not have fractional reserve requirements. They, they have, have to have dollar for dollar reserves. Mm -hmm. So if they have an obligation that shows up, they have to be able to, uh, to pay for it. Right. Okay? So that's the way that works. Now that's different on the balance sheet because they're not carrying a negative net worth, if you will. They're not right. carrying a, 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 a liability on the balance sheet. Right. And in this example, yeah, there's a liability on the balance sheet if I owe somebody money, but I actually have the money and I could write a check and pay, the, pay it back. Mm -hmm. So the reason I didn't pay it back is because it's more efficient not to because the way the tax system and the interest system works, it was disadvantageous. Okay, so that's an example of being strategic in our planning. And I'm very careful about this because those of you guys that listen a lot, you know that while I don't parade around and get a real evangelical on the radio, okay, as a Christian, one of the things you talk about is how is how's debt? There's some real issues around that topic. And uh, a biggie is, and I've always clarified this, there's a difference between collateralized debt and mm -hmm. non-collateralized. Yeah, can you debt. back up the debt that you're shouldering? Right? If if your word is the collateral, right? Like my good name is what says I'll pay that credit card back. Then if a problem happens, I'm the one that's not keeping my promise if I don't pay that back. I've created a real problem here. Where like a home or some other situation with collateral, if I don't pay it back, then they take the collateral and the debt is squared and maybe it affects my credit rating, but we're... We move on with life because that was the agreement, right? There was an asset backing the loan. Right. Rather than just me making a promise and then not honoring it. Okay. And and you could say that's old fashioned or whatever. So I don't care. I you know, I think honor still matters in the system. That's how contracts work. Mm -hmm. Right? The whole system breaks down when you can't honor your contracts. Okay. That's why we have them. So Consider that in this situation that I am suggesting that if you have the capacity to pay it off, but it's not in your best interest, then it may be useful debt. Now, if you were just adamantly against that, and like Dave Ramsey is going to be the guy that can't say otherwise because he built his career around saying this. But I think if he were able to speak kind of candidly, go, well, like, look, yeah. well, he may say something like, look, if you're willing to put that money aside and put it in a sinking fund where it sits there and if anything comes up that that's what it goes to pay for, then we could talk because you're exhibiting financial discipline to do that. Most of the people he's helping are the people that spent money they didn't have. There was the first part of this show, right? Oh, I wanted it and I bought it and I didn't have the money to do it. Now I'm in trouble. And he's saying, hey, quit cutting your nose off to spite your face. Cut up the credit cards and don't make dumb moves. Right. He doesn't give you yeah. the ability to act on your urges. Yeah, he's not talking to who I'm talking to, which is you are financially disciplined and you follow through on things. And and if you don't, you're looking at me going like, well, I'll probably go buy whatever I want. Okay, <laughs> then you better go listen to Dave Ramsey. OK, 
okay? Because you you, you got a you got a condition. Right. But <laughs> if you're a disciplined investor, this is a different conversation. Yeah, or even if your goal is to train toward that, right? Then this is the idea of don't make decisions that will knowingly financially harm you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really key. I feel like we're having the varsity conversation where Dave Ramsey's giving the JV yeah. advice, right? There's, like there's if blocking you blocking and tackling and yeah. their skill drills. Yeah, right? we're so, talking skill drills right now. Yeah, we're, we're getting into the precision stuff here. Uh, but I think that that should be your goal, okay? And the idea is proper planning brings us to this part, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't do the proper planning, then you're not going to get there. And, and that's really what it comes down to. And, and here's the other thing. You, you can do it the old-fashioned way. Make a bunch of money, don't spend a bunch, okay? Then your plan just kind of works because you have – kept a bunch of money and you didn't spend it. So if you okay. had to recap everything, David, for us in like a 30 second clip, what would you say today's show is all about? The show is about using the tax code to your advantage and to do so you have to be intentional. Mm -hmm. To be intentional, there has to be a plan and a strategy to do it. Right? I like so that. I really think that's how this all sum, sums up. And if what this, if someone wants to make that plan? <laughs> no. You tell me, man. What should How that about they do? give us a call? Little John Financial at 541-375-0898, where we get intentional. Exactly. So we'd love to get started on a plan with you guys. Um, but as of now, we're out of time. So thanks for tuning in. And again, uh, podcasts and all that, you can check out info at littlejohnfs.com if you want to email us. Uh, littlejohninvest.com just to get to the webpage and 375-0898 for the phone. Till next time, this has been Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon, and you've been listening to the True Well Show on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.